Dateline, July 17th, 1943, Walt Disney Productions releases A Victory Through Air Power in a bid to get America to take to the air and fight the dirty Axis. In other news! Hello and welcome to Animusings Plus. Uh, we're on our second episode where we'll be discussing, if you haven't guessed it, Victory Through Air Power. There wasn't any beating around the bush this time. Uh, hi, I'm David. I'm Kayla. And if you're new to the show, you've picked a strange episode to start with, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, this this does not feel like the typical Disney movie that you would normally think of. Um, I had never heard of Victory Through Air Power until we really started doing this podcast, and then we started looking into the history of the productions, and I'm like, oh, it looks like Disney has done a wartime propaganda film about how important it is to have a strong uh, air force. Oh, well, there's more to it than that. Um, so shall I give a bit of the uh, history before we kind of talk about the film itself? I mean... Well, naturally. I, I think that's good. Uh, we have just come off... And the, the timeline, the last uh, major film that got released from Walt Disney was Saludos Amigos. Correct. And uh, let's go ahead and... Yeah, go ahead, Kayla. Well, uh, well, Victory Through Air Power began actually as a 1942 non-fiction book by Alexander Desarvesky. I hope I say that right, and I'm not butchering his name. And his book was mainly about how air power should be more important than it was at the time, because the United States was focusing more on their, like, they were focusing more on their battleships and their submarines. Mm -hmm. And Alexander says, no, we have to focus more on air power and wrote a book about it. And it became a bestseller, actually. So much so Walt Disney was influenced by it. And he's like, this is an important film to make. He felt it was so important. He actually financed it himself, like from his own pockets. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Walt cared that much. Yes. And not only that, um, this actually... Uh, got a box office like it went above its budget or did it not, really or not a, <laughs> let me reword this um it actually did make a profit okay a, a very small profit but the film only cost seven hundred eighty-eight thousand to make okay and they received seven hundred and ninety-nine thousand. so a little pocket a little bit uh i think for i mean if if walt if walt's passion for this is to be believed that he it was more important that the film get to a lot of people and help change their minds about what should be prioritized during the war uh, than the what he made for the film. I mean, Walt's still a businessman, but even so. Mm -hmm. um, makes you wonder, though. And not only that, we're in the middle of World War II, and obviously, as a, I mean, he's doing the uh, Latin American tour, so he wants to give his efforts toward World War II. So this well, is another way he could give her his efforts toward World War II. And yeah. Feel I mean, as we established in Saludos Amigos, the idea was that they kind of wanted to gently say, hey, hey, South America, don't be friends with Nazis. Like us instead. We'll even give you Jose. And they did. They gave him Jose. So the, there were some very interesting reactions to this film. Okay. Uh, the critics either loved it or hated it hated it. There's really no middle ground? Very little middle ground. So, if you want to say mixed reviews, yeah, this is the definition of mixed reviews. Okay. <laughs> However, 
uh, Winston Churchill watched this film and was impressed. Well, the film I've noticed, uh, we're not going to, I will mention right now, there's not a huge amount to talk about with this film except with what actually happens in it. Because, as you can imagine, being a wartime propaganda film, it is extremely dated. It, oh, goodness. But, is it extremely dated? The, this film... I'm not going to lie. This episode's probably going to be a shorter one than our other episodes. Well, we had a lot to talk about with The Reluctant Dragon, but here, this is different. Uh, there's not really a story to it. It's just kind of... Things just kind of happen. But uh, the point I wanted to make was that during the course of the film, it speaks very highly of the um, of the, the British military. Yes. And how their Air Force, they, they're pointing out how, look how smart uh, Great Britain is. They have a strong Air Force that they use to combat, you know, the, the Nazis. And um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, and I, it makes sense why Winston Churchill would be impressed. Uh, so impressed, he actually contacted FDR and said, you should watch this. Really? And uh, <laughs> FDR watched it, and he's like, yeah, this is good. Franklin, you need to watch this film. It's important. <laughs> and, uh, I can imagine, just imagine. I always picture him being played by Timothy Spaulding like he was <laughs> in The King's Speech, but... <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, okay, well, that's good. FDR probably saw it but then what did that what how did oh, the critics said they either loved it or hated it but what about the general public i mean they seem to have liked it based off the box office i think they saw it as an important film because of what was going on at the time but it's still a propaganda film you got to realize well it's important that the the public see a propaganda film that's the whole point for a propaganda film it's like look Here's what we want you to know and understand. And the message you're trying to get across is less tanks, less submarines, less boats, more planes, more planes. I need more planes, big planes, small planes, mostly big planes. In fact, bigger planes, flying fortresses that can drop a billion bombs. Which is funny. Cause, <coughs> so uh, the author of the book, uh, Sversky or mm-hmm. Sversky, I hope I'm again. What's his first name? Uh, Alexander. Let's call him Alexander. So Alexander <laughs> appears in this film quite a bit and gives his basically rants or speech about why uh, air power is so important. Um, I'm not going to lie, guys. I was bored throughout this film. <laughs> it's really boring. It's oh. It has moments where it's like really dark and you're like, wow, we're watching all this... Uh, all this warfare happening on screen. Well, well, what happens is it begins... <coughs> well, what happens is it begins as a educational film. Like, it begins showing, like, how the Wright brothers started the airplane. And there's kind of a humorous feel to it with the animation. It's exactly what you think Disney would do if they did an educational film. Mm-hmm. But then it gets into, here's how important air power is. Here's what we should do do in order to defeat those Nazi so-and-sos. Yeah. This is still a PG podcast. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, We're allowed at least one of those. Anyway. uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that it... I mean, I guess we could kind of just talk about it. Yeah, they basically go... The more cartoonish moments of the film are during the sort of history of aviation that they deal with. They talk about the Wright brothers. They show that. They deal with the history of airplanes and 
when the U.S. is like, we need to start have investing in contracts and those all dry up or the Wright brothers continue to produce uh, planes for the U.S. And then we get how important uh, air, um, you know, having a strong air defense was during the Second World War. Or no, not the Second World War. The during first the First World War. But it was still kind of seen as a novelty. And they really play up the idea that there was mostly planes that were spying on each other. And then they started taking pot shots at each other. And then suddenly it was like, okay, now we need to install guns that are timed with the propeller. That to this whole section about the history of aviation to me is the most interesting part of the film. Agreed. And then the rest of it is just propaganda. More planes, more planes. And here's how we can defeat and win World War II. <laughs> There's really a lot of speculation about strategies and pointing out strawmanning arguments like, here's why this won't work. It'll take us until 1949 if we're going to attack by sea and just make our way to Japan, was the whole idea with the, in this one. It was just ridiculous. They're, they're really hounding out the idea of, like, our supply lines on sea aren't good because the Germany has U-boats that'll hit us. And uh, it's just it just goes on and on and on. And... It starts to feel repetitive after a certain point. Even the animation feels very repetitive. It, it yeah, I I got that. There's some parts you could tell they put in effort. Like I'm actually kind of, I was actually kind of impressed with some of the dogfight scenes. Yeah, they put efforts in the parts where it's like you're seeing an airplane fly, where you actually they take the time to uh, basically show in detail the wings coming out and. It, rising up and then entering the dog fights. It's like, oh, that's where the animation budget went. Watching planes crash and stuff, too. Yeah, the animation in this is just... It's not Disney quality. It's just... It, it's not. Yeah, it was on a budget. But also, um, I think one, one interesting thing I noticed, there's a scene where you see um, you see a German U-boat sink a, a carrier. And it talks about how all of these supplies are lost and you see a tank just sitting on the ocean floor and some fish are swimming by it. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that looks familiar. I'm pretty sure they took the exact same animation cells of the tuna from Pinocchio when they're swimming past uh, Monstro and just put them swimming past this tank. It's the exact same. It's the exact same uh, cells or well, the I, exact same fish. Well, we we will prove later on that this is very common in Disney films, especially once we get to... Um, Sword in the Stone and Robin Hood. Right. I mean, they have a tendency to reuse what they've already got because it works. But and I'm not begrudging them that, but it was just something that really jumped out to me having with the, doing this project with you. I could recognize when there's a key piece of animation reuse, I'm like, those are the tuna from... from yeah. I guess they must have escaped Monstro and survived <laughs> this long. That's pretty impressive. Good for you, Fish. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah... In the beginning, like, you'll, we'll see stuff and we're like, oh my goodness, because it would show depictions of war, explosions, there's the Nazi symbol, and they're like, this is a Disney movie, but the thing is, it continues and becomes repetitive, and after a while, it's just, we get it, we get it. There's a point where they they really want to hammer home how important it is that there be an air, a strong yeah. air, an air defense, or a strong air, because they're talking, the main point they get on toward the end is, how in the heck are we going to attack Japan? Yep. Because Japan has all these advantages. We can't really attack from China because, like, we have to get from our supplies from India over the mountains to China. 
And then from there, like, they can hit our planes out. And they're just talking about grueling battles that might take place on land. Just to illustrate, no, this isn't going to work. It's going to be long and costly. Just use planes. Just use planes and develop better bombs. Um, There's not much to say with this. I mean... They they, re, they they illustrate how much Great Britain is doing good because of their airplanes, and they illustrate previous battles in the war. They talk about how Japan has a, has a fairly strong air force, and they show how, as a counterpoint, because they actually do illustrate a little bit the Battle of Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. You actually see the sinking of the Arizona in animation, and this is still fairly new. Like, again... We're talking 43, right? So yeah. within two years of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and we're getting this, and I keep thinking to myself, tugging my collar too soon? But they're, they're, they're trying to make a point. Look, if Japan can do this crazy stuff with a few, with only a hundred airplanes, look what we could do with these huge flying fortress ideas. And then, uh, toward the end, they start getting into sort of the speculative, here's some ways that, here's some things that are being developed and the strategies we have. Uh, for ending the war quickly with air power. Um, which I, I wonder, like, what if there was someone from the Axis side who saw this film and like, oh, now we know what the U.S. is doing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, again, other than the history, which I can see it being very important to this, the film itself, there's not much to talk about. Like, the animation itself, not much to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, I-, I can say one thing. The music score for this film was actually nominated for an Academy Award. Mm, must have been a slow year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. No offense, I just, the music was not super memorable to me. I know, I couldn't remember it much either. Um, I was wondering, uh, what was the name of the... Uh, the was it a general? Oh, yeah. Uh, the one that they kept saying, he he said way Gen- earlier, we need to have a strong air force, and we didn't listen to him. General Billy Mitchell. General Billy Mitchell. They bring him up a lot. He's almost like a martyr for this cause. <laughs> well, Alexander brings him up in his novel quite a bit. Wasn't Alexander kind of his protege, though? Like, didn't they work together really I closely? I think so, yeah. yeah. Alexander, they talk about his story a little bit and how he's been, uh, he was... Uh, connected with aviation he's actually a pretty fascinating character his his father was one of the first uh like owners of an airplane in, in russia I think. yeah and he became a pilot early on uh he was shot down i think in the first in the first world war and um he i think he did he lose a leg i can't remember he seems to be walking around okay in short. I just remember that being a a thing that got brought up, unless it's not the same guy. It's a little confusing. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to take away... There's there's only a couple things I think I'm going to really take away from this film. Uh, One is the the, the history of aviation, which is kind of cool. There's that scene where they talk about the first crossing of the English Channel and the words of the the pilot who flew that. Then they intersperse those words over the planes flying over the English Channel and dropping bombs on uh, on the Nazi forces over there. It's the same words, but it's the same idea. I was like, that's a dark way to spin that. That's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the other thing I would take away uh, would be the very end, which actually got me laughing out oh loud. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I know. <laughs> so it ends. But, oh, oh, but, but I mean, before we get, I'm sorry, I just I just realized that we didn't talk about the speculative stuff because it's really fascinating. But let's talk about, I mean, 
I don't I, know where to start. Let's, so I guess let's talk about the ending real quick, and then we'll go back to the speculative. Well, the speculative is just so ridiculous. It's just like, we're going to fly from Alaska and take down Japan. And then you see, like, the ending is like an eagle flying over and starts attacking an octopus, this huge octopus. And you're like, wait, is the octopus supposed to be Japan? The octopus is Japan. And then you, the octopus suddenly go like, sinks or disappears and it's like all is well in the world and then the eagle flies and sits on top of the american flag because america <laughs> sam the eagle would say yes this is very patriotic um there was also the bit that that, that part was so funny yeah is, i i'm not gonna lie I, that <laughs> octopus fighting that eagle was very good <laughs> uh oh oh one fascinating thing we watched this in black and white, and there we were confused. Like, is this a black and white film? And it turns out there were two versions. There is one that's in Technicolor and one that's in black and white. And the reason why there's a black and white version is because they wanted to show this to uh, the Air Force, but felt the color would diminish the seriousness of it. So by having it in black and white, they can see it as, oh, this is an actual real propaganda film rather than a cartoon. Right. Um, that's interesting that they had to give it that distinction. Mm-hmm. We wanted people to take this seriously in the in the in the military, so we're gonna gray it out and make it more more raw. Yeah. More gritty. Um can we talk about the crazy bombs they were talking about making and all the oh strategies? My, like, they're talking gosh. about, we're developing a bomb that, when dropped on the other side of a dam, will cause the water to burst the dam and take out the enemy's power. And create an earthquake! The earthquake bomb was the craziest one. So they'd say, we're, we're going to drop a bomb, and then when that bomb falls, it's going to unleash a bunch of incendiary bombs. Those bombs will go underground and cause earthquakes. I'm not going to lie. This is... Gosh. This is so nuts. I love it. If you... I'm just... The whole thing... It, it, I can understand the liking of the ridiculousness of it, but it becomes repetitive. Don't get me wrong. When I first watched it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe. Why are they saying this? But then they say it over and over, and mm-hmm. it loses its meaning. And I just... Dis- Almost like we are. <laughs> yeah, see, we're not... We're losing our meaning, because there's just... We're trying to find stuff to talk about, and there's just not that much. Yeah. There's no story to analyze. There's no fun themes to deal with. It's just, go America! Go Great Britain! Go allies! They, they even talk about Russia in a good light here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Russian allies, the Russian front. Um, and, you know, we already know what happened. Yeah, air power did ultimately carry uh, the war, you know, the, the end of the war. But it was not earthquake bombs, and it wasn't dam-destroying bombs. I mean, those were probably involved, but not the earthquake bombs. I certainly... Please, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there weren't any earthquake bombs during (laughs) World War II. Mm. No, instead, uh, the U.S. dropped the sun on Japan. Twice. And that's way worse than any other conceivable thing they could have done. I would rather... They have dropped an earthquake bomb than the sun. Like, that's... If you haven't haven't guessed, out of all the films we have watched to this point, this is my least favorite. Same, but I can... I know there's going to be worse. I'm fascinated by the history of it. There's going to be worse. 
I, there will be worse. You know, Walt Disney is spinning in his grave right now knowing we hated the film he personally financed. Because <laughs> to- Walt totally cares about what we think. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, his, well, his poor frozen head, just the ice cracked a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's a notable, somewhere in the uh, basement, uh, somewhere in the, the, the top of the Matterhorn. Or was, it, <laughs> or was it deep beneath Pirates of the Caribbean? I can never remember which they, it's supposed to be. They switch. Uh, deep within Club 33. Oh my god. In the freezer of Club 33. Okay. Uh, well, luckily this is only one of two things we're doing this month. We just figured we'd talk about it. And for Animusings Plus, we're not necessarily going to cover every, th- every other thing that's been covered, but we thought this was an important and intriguing bit of historical information to talk about. Uh, it's a different time, and it also shows what, you know, the, a lot of Disney's efforts were going to during World War II. Mm-hmm. So when he wasn't, when Walt wasn't being a goodwill ambassador, he was really talking up the idea of using airplanes. Yep. I am so looking forward to watching Three Caballeros after this. You have no idea. Hey, you know what's appropriate, too, is uh, Three Caballeros came out around Christmas, didn't it? Yes, it did. So expect the Three Caballeros episode around Christmas. Woohoo! In the meantime, if you guys want to follow our podcast, you can subscribe to us on the Benview Network, benviewnetwork.com slash animusings. You can also subscribe to us on, is it Apple Podcasts now? It's not iTunes anymore, which seems ridiculous to me. It's Apple Podcasts. Snapple Podcasts. And also, uh, where where else can you find us? On our social media, on Twitter, at animusingspod, as well as on Facebook, it's also at animusingspod. Pose questions to us, you guys. We love to hear feedback. We would love to hear uh, what sort of uh, questions you'd like us do like to ask us as we're talking about the, the different films we're going to be covering. If you have any questions about Saludos Amigos, now is a good time to put them out there. We'll be able to see them and talk about them, hopefully, before the uh, we get to recording it. And uh, I think it'll be a good time all around. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to the point when we get out of the package films and get back to the uh, the sort of what people consider the real uh, classics. Yeah, aka, come to us, Cinderella. You're so close yet so far away. <laughs> Please come, Cindy. Please come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you again for joining us for Animusings Plus, and until next time, more airplanes, more airplanes, more. Airplanes! Oh no, David's dead. Clear! Two friends. I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. Made a deal. I would do a minute podcast on a movie. What movie would you do it on? What if we count to three, and at three we both say the name of the movie, and if it is somehow the same movie... Three, two, one... Super Mario Brothers! The Super Mario Brothers Minute. Two episodes a week. Benview Network. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.